everyone welcome back to my channel so today i welcome sav from Muscleworks. but before we jump into this podcast i'd just like to say a big thank you to today's sponsor which is casita properties the uk leading property company when it comes to discrete off-market buy-to-let sales sav it's a pleasure to have you on my channel it's a pleasure to be here cool well um slightly different conversation today we're gonna dive into who you are what you do where you've come from to now being the owner of a very busy gym which i've had the pleasure of training at a couple of times now and hopefully many more so sav if you could just give us that sort of overview of who you are and what you do okay my name is sav kiriaku i'm the owner of masterworks gym since 1988 uh we've expanded the business over the years um and i'm hands-on in the business I, you know i'm there every day uh um, I look after everybody and everything. I prepare people for competitions. I've helped lots of champions over the years. I used to compete myself. Um, and I'm a Greek Cypriot uh, that came in this country in 1974 when I was 14, uh, when the war was on. So basically I escaped the war and I came here just to escape. And I stayed there ever since. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to dive into your, your story and, and to where you are now. And what I would say for anyone watching this, if you haven't been to Muscle Works in Bethnal Green, get along there. It's an awesome gym. And what I will say just about the gym, it seems that I don't think I've met anyone in that gym that is out of shape. I don't think I've ever been to a gym where everyone's in such good shape. Well, they have to be answerable to me first. So <laughs> maybe that's the reason. Keep them in check. No, yeah. it's cool. So, Sav, let's just start from your sort of childhood as you were growing up to, um, to, and we'll get to where you are now. What was it like as, you know, as, as sort of growing up coming from, you know, Greece and, and Cyprus actually. Yeah. Cyprus, I'm a Greek Cypriot. Yeah. Um, life was, I mean, we didn't have our first television till 1968 when I was eight years old. Um, the country was a new, country as if it were because we got independence from Britain in 1960 everything was going okay political situations happened and in 1974 there was an invasion by the Turks in Cyprus uh, which they took 33 uh, percent there was 220,000 refugees which I was one of them and uh, because I was under 16 I was allowed to leave the country so my parents sent me here to stay with some relatives for a while. And then from the age of 14 and a half, I've been basically looking after myself, working before school, after school, and just fending for myself since that age. Um, my dream was to study and go to university. I managed to do my A-levels, you know, through work. I remember doing my homework in the, on the bus. Um, you know, spare time um, because I had to work and fend for myself. It was an easier to pay for, for my food, my accommodation. When I was still going to school at that young age, um, I tried not to get in trouble. All my friends, well, some of them were drinking, some of them were smoking stuff. And I, I tried to keep away from anything that could interfere with my progress, basically. Anything that could be addictive, anything that I, I just kept away from. 
because I was scared to even try anything, and not even alcohol. So, because my dream was to go to university and get a degree in something, uh, because growing in a sort of environment with politics played a very important role, and history, I wanted to do politics and history. I done my levels at school here, and then I got a letter from the Home Office to go and see them because I was here as an illegal immigrant to that point with permission to stay. The Home Office lost my paperwork. <laughs> so because of that, I wasn't eligible for anything. So I couldn't go to university because I had to pay as a foreign student, which I could not afford. So I kept working. Um, again, Temptations were there from everything and everywhere, especially if you have no guidance and, you know, at young age, you're free to do what you want. But I still had that thing in my head that I could not allow anything to interfere with my dreams. And I always wanted to do, uh, to build a body, um, build muscles strong. From the time I saw the movies, back home in the village in the middle 60s, early 60s, um, late 60s of uh, Steve Reeves, which I don't know if people know, he was the Mr. Universe, and which was an American, going back to the 40s and 50s. Um, and Reg Park, which was a British guy, English guy, um, which was actually Arnold's hero, Reg Park. Um, and they played some movies and they did some Hercules movies and things like that. And ever since then, I wanted to build a body. But I didn't really get a chance to start training until I was 20, 21. And because I was experienced in the sense of my experience working in a shop and uh, learning about business, and that's what I knew really how to do well, but I didn't want to do that, obviously. I started training, and then from the minute I went to a proper commercial gym, that was my dream to do that. So what I did, I bought every single magazine and book I could get my hands on, going back to the 30s and 40s. You know, American Health and Strength, which would concentrate more on Olympic weightlifting and strength stuff, muscular development, the original ones, uh, going back to the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And I would look at pictures of gyms, how they were set up. But what the, what did it for me was basically the Gold's Gym shots and photographs that were taken when Arnold in the original Venice Gold's Gym, when Arnold was training and the, the pumping iron film was filmed. And I looked at that and I thought, this is what I want to bring here. At the time, there wasn't really any bodybuilding gyms as such. Commercial gyms didn't really take off at the time. I'm talking about now, early 1980s. So in 85, I opened my first gym, which is still around. Um, it's called Bodyworks. I sold it after three years. And then I moved into the Muscleworks. When I moved there, I moved to East London. Um, and that's history, basically, that's how it did. But what I tried to do is emulate the original bodybuilding gyms 
um, that existed in America, basically in the 60s, 70s, um, with mainly black equipment, raw weights, nice machines, but not fancy. You know, everything else came after, I suppose. And obviously we had to move with the times, but that was my dream to achieve. And not just the look of it, I wanted to have uh, the feel of a, a bodybuilding gym. So I became friends with Brian Buchanan, which was, uh, you compare Mr. Olympia as well later, but he was another uh, junior champion, another universe amateur, another professional, and he used to live in Caledonian Road. And we became friends, and I, he was just trained somewhere else in a different gym. And I offered him, I knew him, he knew who I was and everything, but we weren't really friends at the time. So I offered him to pay him a monthly fee, which wasn't a lot, but he was still paid, to come and train at Muscleworks. I probably I was the first that has ever done that, yeah. to pay a, a, a bodybuilder to come and train at their gyms. And then I created a, a sort of a rule that if anybody won any bodybuilding competition, they can train for free. And that's how it started. That's how people started coming. One would bring another one. And then that, you know, that, com I don't know, the, 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 the people wanted to be around other people that were competing. Um, it was hard for me because I had to keep a balance of, you know, people could become a little bit aggressive if they're competing against each other in the same competition. Don't forget then, you know, in the 80s, uh, early 90s, there wasn't that many you know, federations like they are now in that many competitions. And then it was pure bodybuilding. Yeah. It wasn't like we have now all the fitness, other stuff that we have. And I created an atmosphere by, I suppose, trying. My main objective was obviously to make a profit and survive the business, but it wasn't that from the beginning. It was to create something that did not exist up to that point and to fulfill my dreams. And I remember, okay, this is embarrassing now, okay? I remember going to bed at night and thinking in my head, instead of counting sheep to try and go to sleep, I used to count in my head how many competitive bodybuilders we had at the gym. How many of the people that we had training were competitive, you know, competitive bodybuilders. How many of them had a chance of winning? How many of them had a chance of becoming British champions? I mean, at one point we had four overall British champions uh, year after year for four years, four or five years in a row that came from Muscleworks. And that was my dream, you know, to, to create something special. And I haven't lost that passion really. So it sounds like you know, there's a lot to pick apart there. So from a young age, it sounds like you've almost had this built-in desire to do more because, you know, from, from the way that you've explained sort of that, that hunger and that want to go into business to try and stay out of trouble, I would, I, I would confidently say that not a lot of people have that strong mentality in, in I suppose being driven. It could be going back to my growing up back home that I have another brother that's two and a half years older than me. And this is a personal thing now, okay? So I'm here, I don't, you know, I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say, it's, it's true, so it doesn't matter. 
for some reason, my parents never acknowledged anything I did. I played football for the school. I acted in the theatres. The whole village would turn up. My parents would not turn up. I played uh, a, a, a captain of the football team. My parents would not turn up to see me, you know? And that bothered me. That's why when I had the chance to leave, I said, when I go back, it was like to prove to my dad, because I didn't have an easy upbringing, that I was worth more. Mm -hmm. That stayed with me. That's been your fire. Sorry. That's no, no, Sorry. no, no. Honestly, I don't, I don't no, talk about this a lot, but appreciate now you brought it up. Is is is, and that was my drive to create to to make make sure. I did not become a drug addict. I did not become an alcoholic. I did not, I've never gambled in my life. I've never been in a betting shop. I didn't, I didn't do any of those things because I was scared that is gonna create a problem for me later life. And I wanted my life to be successful, not to be rich and make money, not to do that. That's why I wanted to go to university. That's why I wanted to, to, to achieve. And I, I'm self-taught. I've, I've read, I've studied, uh, and I specialize now all my study, you know, before it was history and politics. Now it's, it's more about training, uh, learning a lot about training, about mechanics, learning about things that I was told how to do, you know, in my training. And it was completely wrong and not how stupid, which everybody does in the gym. Because, you know, we go on about uh, old school, Old school training is nice, is this, is that. I call it shit school now. I'm sorry my language, okay? Because I'm upset and angry with all the past champions that did not actually give us valuable information, which was there. You know, biomechanics is to do with physics, is to do with angles, and is to do with levers, which is simple. If you understand it, it's so simple. So why are we being told to do certain exercises that are so wrong, not just for building muscle, but also for damaging uh, our bodies, damaging our bone structure. You know, there's so many people walking out there with herniated discs. They don't even know they got herniated discs because the herniated disc hasn't touched the nerve. You know, everybody's doing deadlifts, which is the probably worst exercise you could be putting yourself. You can do deadlifts, but you have to do them in a slightly different way. So you don't put, you know, unless you're powerlifting. I mean, we go about powerlifting and, uh, and you know, where did those exercises come from? They came from a circus. The bench press was called a floor press. The squad was uh, done slightly differently. The, the deadlift was clean and, and press one arm. I mean, all that was invented in the circus to impress people because people didn't have television, they didn't have internet, they didn't have phone. All they did was maybe once a month and once every six months they go and watch something special. And that's how it was created. And then we end up doing them they weren't invented in so it's a... It's like mass marketing to get the people in. Well, no, it wasn't that. It, was, it wasn't done on purpose. It was done because people did not realise that they were wrong or they're wrong. You know, and, they, they, you know, they watch out not doing T-bar rows or doing uh, sitter low pulleys. You know, but you have to take into consideration different things. First of all, how comes so many people didn't look like Arnold, didn't develop as much muscle? You know, genetics play a big, big role. And then you have the other situation. I don't know if I'm allowed to use the word steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
you know, now all of a sudden we're finding a, a lot of top bodybuilders are known that they're dying. Why? Part of the reason why steroids took over and took control is to correct the wrongdoings of the training. It was a, a substitute to, to correcting things because people didn't correct them any other way. So what you do is, instead of somebody coming up to me and saying, Sav, is there anything else new that we can try and train, you know? They say, is there anything new on the market? Like steroid-wise, you know? And people started using growth, started using insulin, started using other stuff. That was completely and utterly wrong because a lot of the steroids, you know, if somebody had a good genetics, okay? And took, and trained really hard, took steroids, they'll become a champion. If you had the desire, they were willing to take the stuff and but have good genetics to become champions. What about the other people that don't have good genetics? And they're abusing their body or they abuse their bodies to do things, to, to, to improve and compete, and even now. And they're not getting anywhere and they're never gonna get anywhere because they haven't got the genetics. We should have a bit more understanding on that. And everything is, is you know, I remember somebody saying to me, oh yeah, before the competition, you do leg extensions for your thighs to get bring the cuts in. What's that going to do with the fat? The, it's the fat that holds your cuts. It's got nothing to do if you're doing leg extensions or upside down leg curls. You know, it, it, it's, it, and people believe that. And people say, oh yeah, six weeks before the competition, make sure you, you start doing a lot more leg extensions. The only thing that we do with leg extensions actually is build your quads better because it's the best exercise for, for core development, but that's a different matter. I you think, know? Do you know, it, just from listening Excuse to you, me. listening to you talk and, and the passion that you have, it almost answers why everyone in your gym is so well conditioned. And almost what I will say is what I've always found when I go into your gym, and I, it's, it's very clear now, is that there's this level of, I mean, the machines are great, like the whole rawness yeah, yeah, yeah. of that Rocky feels there. And that there's this respect level in there that there's, you know, people are in there to train. To train. And my, my obsession now really is to try and give the best facilities. Nearly every other week I get something new or I change something because uh, I want it to be good for me and for everybody else. But even machines that I don't use. I mean, I don't use a Stairmaster. I bought another Stairmaster yesterday. I've never been on a Stairmaster in my life because I don't like it. Do you, uh, you know, with, but that's with your business mindset, because gyms and businesses as a whole has changed so much and everything changes so quick now, but you've managed to keep a gym packed, active, you know, uh, somewhere where a lot of people know, but yet you're holding on to that old school gym. Whereas a lot of gyms now they're going to this leisure, you know, everything's nice and clean and, and sharp. No, and we try and do that, but obviously there is a limit to, to but you don't go into those gyms that are so clinical feeling you're going to come out in great shape. You go almost there to socialize with your, you, you have a very good, strong, passionate business mindset. How, how have you, do you find that staying very hands-on has allowed you to stay very close to your business? Well, it has. I mean, uh, just before the pandemic, it's just by accident, it wasn't by design. I sold my other big gym that I had in Enfield. And the reason was, is that we moved to the new facilities in Bethnal Green when we moved from up the road to a bigger premises, also because we were able to open 24 hours, 24 seven, we don't close at all. And it's always somebody there. Um, and what happens is I, I knew I would have to spend more time. So I ended up, I mean, I loved that gym in Enfield because it was nice, big, airy, it was, it, was, it was, you know, it took me 17 years to build it to that point. 
but I knew I had to get rid of it because I wanted to spend more time in Bethnal Green because that's where it all started for me. And I had a, a bit of extra feeling for that area that, you know, the equipment, I still have equipment going back 25 years. And if I dare take them out, I would get lynched. <laughs> you know, I, but I changed a machine uh, about three, four weeks ago, okay? A multi-gym. Um, and I've had it for maybe over 25 years. On it, they had, it was a gym 80 machine and it had manufactured in West Germany. It was still manufactured before the Berlin Wall came down. That's why I had West Germany. And it had to be changed. You know, things started going to be wrong. And I changed it for a machine that cost about 12,000 pounds, okay? Which to me is a better machine, is the pulleys are better, they move better, they, you know, everything is better. And I had people complain to me that why did I get rid of the other machine? Yeah. And like they were upset with me and angry. So I had to sit down and explain to them, look, the pulley moves sideways. So if you want to do single arm pull downs, it's not fixed. It's, you don't get the friction because you're not in, in line. The same with the low pulley. Look, you can change, you know, the seats is more comfortable. You can adjust it better. And I had to sit down in a calm manner and explain to those people why I did it. And when I did, they understood and they agreed. Yeah, okay, you're right. But I could have just said, well, if you don't like it, don't use it. But I couldn't do that. I, I can't do that. I, I need to explain why I do what I do because it's not for the benefit of me or to make more money. Actually, it cost me money. That that machine, we still bring the same amount of people in. It still created the money. It, it, that wasn't the point. The point is something had to be changed because we have to move with innovation. This is the key thing and the key word for bodybuilding and weight training. Innovation has not come in in the last 50 years. And without innovation, things die or they get worse. You know, we're walking around with, I remember having a, a Walkman with a tape cassette, okay? Listening to it when I used to practice my pausing routine or going on a sunbed before the competition, that's the only time I used to use it. Then it came the disc. Now we don't even, you know, you just put the little things in your ears and we moved on. Yeah. You know, everything is done to precision. I mean, the, the, the cameras, everything yeah. is precision made. Why can we try and make our training to precision made to make it more productive and more safe and save time? You know, so imagine because you end up doing volume training because half the exercises you're doing are not productive, you end up not being able to train chest and biceps and triceps, for example. You end up doing maybe chest and maybe do uh, biceps or triceps with it, which means you're making your workouts longer, which means you can do less in that workout, in that time that you have, because you're wasting a lot of energy and time accomplishing nothing. And when you're doing volume training, how the hell are you going to recover either? Unless you have to use dimensionables. You know, all those things add up. Because if you don't train the muscle within a specific amount of time, and you're not on dimensionables, your muscle will shrink go back. So, you know, scientifically in the Boston University they've done clinical studies, it says after four or five days, you have to train the muscle. Otherwise the muscle will retract and atrophy back to its original size and strength. That's why sometimes people do a body part say once a week, 
and they get too sore again because it's been too long when they did it again. And also it's like walking two, fo two steps forward and two back or one back and two forward. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, but if you do it right, if you save your time, you can do more in one training session by not wasting energy doing things that are unproductive. And this is what it has to happen. Yeah, you know, somebody come and asked me the other day, uh, I, I looked at the thing on, on the internet and he said, you know, if you have long arms, it's better if you do drug curls. So what would you, what you, know, would you it, say? It, it, it's silly. I'm just, just saying, but just that, that yeah. simple thing, okay? You know, anybody that knows about anything and should know about anything is you contract the muscle from the insurgent to the origin, okay? So how the hell are you gonna do that by doing a drug curl? Why is people out there pretending they know what they're talking about, talking rubbish and advising people that don't know doing rubbish in this, you know, 21st century? It's, yeah. it's, it's unacceptable. And this is what... It's the passion behind it, isn't it? I, yeah. I mean, what would you... Innovation is a massive part. I think for any... Any business, anyone who's trying to do well, you have to keep changing and, and moving with the time. You Otherwise you get times. left behind. Cut, you know, COVID showed many companies, many businesses that just didn't move with the times. As we sort of come to a close, what would you, for those watching, it's, it's been very clear that the reason your gym and to where you are and the story and that you've had a fantastic drive and a reason to get to where you are today. For those watching that, are in a similar position. They don't have a leg up. They don't have, they don't have someone that they can call on to, to get them through the hard times. What would you say to those people watching who really want to do well in business or want more from their life and don't have a lot? Don't waste time doing unnecessary things. Have a vision in your head that is not beyond your capability of achieving. Okay. You know, don't have a vision that you're going to have a huge mansion. Have a vision you're going to have a nice house in the country. You know, don't over-visualize your things. But the biggest thing is, you know, don't sit down, go home and start drinking or smoking your spliff and saying, I'm chilling. Because if you're doing those things, your vision will not come to fruition. Because unfortunately, that's how things are. If you want to build a wall, you have to build the wall. You can't just sit here and wait for the wall to be built. You have to do it. And always start with a small ambition and visualization of what you want to achieve. Don't create too, too big thing because you'd be, and then you'd be crushed when you realize it's not happening. You know, I'm not saying people shouldn't enjoy themselves, but to enjoy yourself, you don't have to take Coke and you don't have to, drink so you're so paralytic you can't walk. You know, you can do other things. You can listen to nice music, you can be with the right people, you know. And that, that the other thing I, I would say is for the younger generation is do not be around people, do not have friends that will drag you down to their level and to their way of life. And you know which is right and wrong you know we know what's right and wrong so if any of your friends are doing wrong things don't mix with them you know because they will involve you in their rubbish and that is the that's one thing i've always did i've never had any friends if i found a friend that was doing something that uh, i didn't like or whatever and then i found out i would stop i would stop you know i try and talk to them to come out of whatever they were doing if they didn't 
I will stop being their friend because I didn't want to be dragged down in that route, that road of distraction. And that's what happens. It's a road of distraction. Even music that you listen to has an effect in your brain. You know, it has an effect in your behavior and in your, you know, people said, oh, you, you know, I don't have any parents. I left home when I was 14 years old. I didn't have a parent since I was, you know, but I made sure that I knew what was right and what was wrong. And that's what it upsets me when I see people out there, you know, I try and, I try and help. Um, I had a mother the other day, she got in touch with me and she asked me, he hasn't got a father figure, he's 16 years old and I think he's going the wrong way. Can he come down because he admires you when you talk about training and he, all that, can he come and spend some time with you? So I got him to come down, I, I spoke to him, but I do it in a nice way. I don't, you know, dictate, I don't, yeah. you know, I try and, and show thing. And, and it, it, you know, not every time it works, it, it works. You know, I have a young boy there, he's a brilliant boxer and he's doing boxing but he hasn't got anything else in his life. So I make sure that he spends a lot of time in the gym. I feed him, he, he does his training, he spends a bit of time with his friends, so he's not out. And he's, now he's realizing, because he's a good boxer, that he's gonna go a long way as long as he keeps on focus yeah. and on track. I mean, it's maybe because I did it and I find it easy, but I don't know. I, I don't think it's that hard. I think you, you shared some really incredible points. And I think there's going to be some really hard hitting lessons in this episode. So Sav, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the channel and for everyone that's watched, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and we will see you all very soon.